Okay, so I'd like to talk about happiness and why it might not be the most worthwhile target to shoot for. Uh, that sounds, even to me at this point, a little bit ridiculous because why wouldn't you want to be happy? Um, and it's not so much that we wouldn't want to be happy. In fact, I think that's the most basic desire for most of us. I think it's that we go about it as far as a society in ways that uh, don't work. <laughs> and what are those ways? It's like, okay, well, we make lists of things that make us happy. So for me, I think about a sunny day, going to the beach, playing volleyball at the beach, um, having the food and people, the food I like and the people that I enjoy being around. And I compile this set of conditions like a checklist and if I can check off all of those boxes I expect to be happy and they're gonna be a little bit different for all of us of course but uh, I think for the most part society does a pretty good job of giving us a sense of here are the things that will make you happy a good job a loving attractive spouse respect and popularity um, a certain amount of money, however much that is. And to an extent, these things do bring a level of satisfaction. Otherwise, this illusion, if we're going to call it that, would just lack all substance. Um, we would see through it immediately as being uh, false. But that's not the case. Like, if you get a new pair of shoes or if you buy a new car, <laughs> you feel pretty good. Um, for however long. There's a bit of a half-life to it, and I think we're all uh, on some level aware that that's the case. There is no single purchase that, for me anyway, has resulted in a resounding permanent state of indelible happiness. And yet, those hits of, if we're gonna call it maybe dopamine or um, pleasure, are in their own way kind of worthwhile. Like you don't want to completely renunciate or let go of entirely uh, the pleasant sensory experiences that are available in the world. Like we live in this beautiful place that has on offer so much experience that uh, as living beings is worthwhile to sample. I think what I'm trying to get at here though is this idea that in the interim between hits, are we miserable? Are we, or even maybe it doesn't have to be as strong as miserable, maybe it's just vaguely dissatisfied uh, or somewhat, you know, lacking in some way. And I'm thinking that it doesn't really need to be the case. I think that for myself anyway, uh, my approach to life until I was, we'll say, 33 years old has been to create a steady stream of experiences that trigger pleasant sensation or emotion in some kind of way and just kind of chain all of that together. It's kind of like just the hedonic 
treadmill, right? Like as soon as the last experience that was pleasant is receding or fading, it's like, okay, I've now got motivation to plan the next weekend getaway or vacation or uh, open up my phone and download a new app. Um, and it doesn't have a, it, it's not an inherently um, dissatisfying way to live if you're good enough at it. Uh, so many of you watching this might be like, yeah, leave me alone. I don't even want to investigate this any further. I'm pretty happy how I am. I've got my conditions nicely fulfilled. Thank you very much. And I'm doing great. And if that's you, like you don't have to watch this video, you're doing fine. Um, you know, just keep at it. You might, you might, uh, have set up a, uh, an equation that really does equal out nicely for your personality or how, or how you want to live. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Um, again, over three decades of doing it that way myself. So it's like, and I, I'm not going to say that I was unhappy during that time. Um, in fact, I would say that since exploring an alternative way of kind of being in the world, um, and letting go of a lot of the things that brought me pleasure, it's been a lot harder. And I have opened up to realms of experience that have been unpleasant and continue to be uh, much more boring or I suppose in sort of one way to think of it is just like lackluster. It's like embracing the, the experience that isn't the peak experience in a way that uh, brings it into such vivid focus that you realize, oh wow, I'm actually on the threshold of what might feel like a peak experience right now, even though everything's totally ordinary. That probably doesn't make any sense, but that's all right. We'll get there eventually. Uh, so I guess just back to this idea of like, just trying not to point any fingers. Um, if you're sitting there thinking, what's wrong with watching a bunch of Netflix and then having an ice cream and then, you know, playing some team sports with my friends and going to bed satisfied. It's like nothing is wrong with any of that at all. The part that might be of benefit to you or to me in the future, when I forget this and need to rewatch this video to kind of remind myself of where, uh, I'd like to recalibrate to, it's the idea that how am I doing on Monday when the weekend is over and the, the highs of the weekend have subsided and we're going to say like real life has uh, kicked back into gear. How am I doing when my uh, best friend who was visiting from overseas has gotten on the plane and has taken off. Am I pretty devastated from all of this? Am I feeling a slump? And how long is that slump lasting? When I try to answer those questions for my former self, uh, it's clear to me that I simply didn't spend a lot of time um, acknowledging 
feeling that way in the first place. It's like I get this sense of uh, sadness start to make itself known and I'm just out of there. I'm into Clash of Clans or playing chess online or I'll call somebody and it, or I'll throw on a, a movie. And that is a good strategy for a short-term fix if you're feeling overwhelmed and maybe if whatever kind of uh, sense of sadness that's coming on is just too much to tackle right then and there not a problem like let's let's find ways of uh, being okay in the moment nothing wrong with that at all I think the part that presents itself as an opportunity for uh, kind of future-proofing yourself against <laughs> uh, that level of sadness or the duration or intensity I don't even know if that's accurate at all more like what might help the processing of traditionally negative thoughts and feelings like sadness, depression, anxiety is a willingness to embrace them on some level and grow accustomed to them in a way that is uh, non-aversive. So you're not always just pushing it away. You're finding a way to bring in some of the sadness, let in some of the anxiety, and connect with the depression in a way that the depression knows that it's welcome, that uh, it's not going to ruin <laughs> your day. Um, and in taking that stance toward those sort of negative thoughts and feelings, they lose a lot of their uh, ability to utterly terrify us. And for me, that's been pretty freeing because I think I simply could not engage with any of my negative thoughts or feelings in any capacity. I was just always running from them. And, uh, I just wasn't very free, I guess. And I was always kind of afraid, because it's like, if I would feel something like that coming on, there would be a pretty strong fear response, where I know, oh, I'd better do something about this, I'd better have something on hand, an audiobook, something immersive that's going to distract me sufficiently that I don't have to experience this. And I hope it's becoming clear uh, in some roundabout way that that is less of a position of freedom than is the position where we feel something coming on that is unpleasant. It doesn't even matter what it is and we're there for it and we're there for it in the same kind of way as we can be there for 
like the weather. Rain comes, snow comes. It isn't inherently bad, good. Um, that's all subjective. If you're a snowboarder or a duck, then a snowstorm or a rainy day are great news. If you're a farmer and you need to get your wheat in, <laughs> then wheat? Straw? I, I don't know anything about this, but I think farmers generally don't want to get their straw or wheat rained on when it's been cut. Hay? They don't want to get their hay rained on because then when they bale it, certain animals like picky horses or whatever won't eat it. I think the cows still will, but um, I think there's a challenge there for farmers and so subjectively rain isn't as uh, sought after during that time. But again, at other times, as a farmer, once you've sown all your seeds or planted your seeds, I don't know how farmers talk about this kind of thing, then the rain and a certain amount of rain is exactly what they're looking for. Uh, much in the same way, even if we were to take the realm of experience um, as impersonally, it's like, I think there are times when it's just perfectly appropriate to feel really sad. Like my grandfather, my grandmother, their deaths, there's a, almost like a, an appropriateness or a fittingness or a, I want to say like almost a wholesomeness to feeling sad and crying and grieving and going through all of those generally unpleasant emotions um, in a way that is kind of truer to that relationship and that person that you loved and who, who is now gone, uh, then would be the case if I was just unwilling to cry or uh, feel really sad about the deaths of my grandparents. It's like, you know, you kind of want to cry for them. Um, and it's not something that I feel I would have to uh, do in a way that fulfills a certain quota. I think it's just more like there's this natural sense of like sadness during certain parts of our lives that is just exactly perfect for that experience. And so the skill of being sad, the skill of feeling a certain level of anxiety around something that requires our attention, the skill of feeling a certain amount of depression, um, as funny as that can seem, because it's like, well, what is the, f what is the actual utility of depression? And for me, it could be like a signal of, I need to engage. I need to, uh, come out of my shell a little bit. I need to socialize or I need to exercise or... I just need to participate in the world beyond just laying in bed. Uh, maybe I need to take some risks. Maybe I need to be vulnerable. Um, so it might have a value that I had been unwilling to look at uh, sort of prior to recent years. Um, I have more notes. 
conditions. So I'll try to end this with bringing it back to this idea of conditioned happiness and just to plant the seed of exploring and looking for what those conditions are that we've set up that are required to be fulfilled in order for happiness to come into our experience or come into our days or come into our hearts, we'll say. Um, I gave the examples of like a sunny day and, and going to the beach. Now, if it's necessary that it be sunny for me to be happy, you can see where I'm going with this. Uh, in Ontario, in the winter, I think we can expect about 11 days of sun in the month. So the other 20 or so are going to be cloudy, overcast, dark. You can see how it's not the best model to have a condition of sunshine tied so directly to happiness for me. Uh, so becoming aware of that is that first piece of the puzzle and just going, okay, is it actually true that I'm only happy on sunny days? Have I been sad on sunny days? Uh, for sure I have. This past summer and summers, pa and summers before this, there have been lots of times, beautiful sunny weather, where I'm just miserable. And part of why this uh, keeping score or keeping a list of conditions that um, we think of as a, as, a res as a reliable equation to produce happiness is flawed. The reason why doing it that way is flawed is because when all of the pieces are in place and we're not happy, for me anyway, I panic. I'm just like, it's a sunny day. I've got work completely under control. We're packing up to go on a vacation, like a, a canoe camping trip or something. I've got everything I want, and somehow I'm kind of sad. And then my brain just goes to, I have a problem. There must be something wrong. I must be depressed. There must be a chemical imbalance. My thoughts spiral, and I'm like, wow, what do I do? I don't know how to be happy. And uh, I think that is, for me anyway, the true danger of having these conditional or these conditions um, and believing in them as being productive or contributing to our happiness. What's the alternative? Glad you asked. Um, let's see if I can remember what the alternative is. The idea is the unconditioned state where it doesn't really matter what's going on. Could be sunny, could be cloudy, you could be doing well at work, you could be do, doing poorly at work, you could be um, having you know trouble with your loved one in your family, your friends, your social circles could be problematic for some reason. But all of that doesn't really get at the core of what's going on 
in terms of your uh, mood, we'll say, because they're not really connected. <laughs> and you're wondering, and I'm wondering too, it's like, how can they not be connected? And to an extent they are. There is going to be an effect when something really good happens at work. There's going to be a surge of positive thoughts and feelings. There's going to be a slump when we get some really bad news. That's always going to happen, as far as I know. I think it's more to do with a willingness to kind of let all of it come and go on its own. So it's like, okay, well, I understand that a part of being a human being, part of being a human being, <laughs> it's very awkward to say, is this full spectrum of experience. There's going to be all this stuff happening at all times that is both pleasant, unpleasant, good news and bad news. Am I able to train myself to be a little less dependent on getting some good news in order to feel happy? Or can I kind of just release the pressure on that a little bit and go, I'm just going to see if happiness arises moment to moment on its own for no reason at all. And that can be scary because it's like, well, I want to control my own happiness. I want to be in charge. I want to say when I'm happy. If you're actually able to do that, stop this video and just keep doing what you're doing because that's a skill that I don't have. For me, happiness seems to be a wild bird. Sometimes it shows up in the bird feeder. Sometimes it's not there at all. I have no idea what causes it to come and go. But I know that putting seed in the bird feeder isn't a bad idea. I know that making loud noises and running around outside uh, throwing things and uh, you know creating an environment that is frightening for a bird is probably not going to result in that bird showing up. Very strange metaphor, but that's how I feel about it. And in the time where it's like I'm not radiantly happy, everything is okay, which is very different than it was before. Before, like we'll say when prior to being 30, 31, 32, 33 years old, if I do a little self-body scan and go, hmm, I can't feel much of anything right now, 
well that's not good. I'd better, I'd better find a way to like elevate my heart rate and get a bit of a thrill and like feel good and like laugh at something and like get up, like try to get up, uh, get a little higher. And it's like, I don't really do that anymore. And in its absence, in the absence of that behavior, is a sense of just things being okay at all times. And quite honestly, that's a trade I've been pretty grateful to have made.